This is episode nine. Yeah, I don't think they're... Are you sure? Oh my god, are you freaking serious? I was just about to say, I don't think there's going to be an argument about it this time. I just wanted to test the waters. It was was a good way to to get this started. Um, It is episode nine. We are back for our second discussion of Bluebeard and our... New guest from last week is also back, but has has it lost its luster? Yeah, it has. <laughs> I'm not as excited. You. Can confirm. <laughs> has the newness of this human being lost its luster? <laughs> Probably. We've already moved on to scheduling a different yeah, special guest. So old news. It's fine. Uh, we're glad you're back. Thanks, friends. Yeah, feels good to be back. <laughs> Just to make sure that is on record. No. Uh, we are. We're good to go there. So we're just going to go around as we have done previously. And we're going to first off introduce ourselves and say what we're drinking. We'll start with our, our oh new guest. We didn't do that what last an time. opportunity to yeah. bring back some luster. Yeah, go for it. Hell yeah. Um, I don't even know. I need to find what this is called. Oh, it's the Hemperer. Okay, the Hemperor by New Belgium is what I'm drinking because apparently I'm the person who just drinks the weed beers now. Uh, but this one, I think, doesn't really taste... I think it tastes like a beer but smells a little bit like weed, which is kind of similar to the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, Personally, after fine. trying the, the last one and having a sip of yours, I think it smells less like it but tastes more like it. All I'm saying is I feel like if this was in a bottle that did not mention weed, you would not be like, that smells like weed because IPAs I just smell like weed. Cause no, what? I don't. Th- I don't. I, I think it specifically <laughs> smells like. It's weed. like a sourness. I, I can suppose. smell it from here. <laughs> I want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. I just think like I've done it. But Corona too. Corona smells like weed. Hmm. That is not. Re- oh man, we need to get a Corona. Next I don't week. drink Corona. So Me either, know. but I know it smells like weed. But the yeah. point is, it's fine. Uh, it's fine beer, and I'm Andrew. It was from the <laughs> 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 tangent first, <laughs> name second. Um, uh, I'm Danny. I'm drinking the Oberon Ale from Bell's Brewery in Michigan. Mm. Which I've never had Bell's. I hadn't even heard of it. I just think that now that I'm doing the Choose Your Own Six Pack, I'm choosing like things that yep. I just would never, ever grab. You gotta grab the weird one. I chose it because it's not an IPA and it has a pretty picture of a sun on it. Hell yeah, it does. Mm. That's how I pick my beer. Yeah. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> uh, I'm Brian, and Thanks. this week I have Avery Brewing... Uh, it's in Boulder, Colorado. It's Ellie's Brown. Ellie's Brown. It's got a picture of a dog on it. It does have a picture of a very cute dog. And this was the um, beer that was on the six-pack, because I said last week that mm. I've been choosing if the six-pack box has a specific beer on it, I, I got to grab that one. And so uh, this one says it's loyal, friendly, and mellow. Mm. Nice. So nice. <laughs> nice. So nice. Uh, I'm Jamie. Hi. I'm drinking uh, Boulevard Easy Sport, which is a recreation like a ale. Uh, it says it's clean, balanced, and tangy. Uh, and I would call it a sophisticated Bud Light. Hmm. Can you taste? Didn't it say there, there were like tangerine and sea salt or something? Yes. Goofy? Can you taste that or is it Bud Light? It tastes like a nice Bud Light. All right. I would agree. I would say. Like, yeah. like it's good. I like it a lot better than Bud Light. Mm-hmm. You want to taste it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually do. Oh, on air. On air. on air. on air. I had it at Boulevard Reaction. a few weeks ago. And I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I get some tangerine. I get some tangerine. That's pretty good. 
<laughs> I do though. Yeah. Some ASMR for you. Oh that's my better. god, that's slurp. Home. That slurp when you listen yeah, back like to that, you guys. A, there's <laughs> a hint of citrus. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say. say so. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I really don't mind it after having had it. I thought it was yeah. pretty good. Isn't it only like four ABV though? Not that that's four a point huge four point one. Okay, okay. Wheat we're, we're is here. just four point four. Yeah, we looked that up. Boulevard wheat's only four point four. Yeah. Sometimes I don't drink Boulevard re- for that reason as well, though. Yeah. But hey. You're a dummy. Uh, I guess so. So anyway, that was our <laughs> longest what are you drinking segment. <laughs> this has been Beer had. Corner. <laughs> uh, beer Time with Books, fair enough. Uh, we're also going to, as we have previously done, go around and talking about some uh, media we've been com- consuming recently since the last episode. Um, I actually, to clarify from last week, I said wrong things about Toucan Birdie. They're not fish, surprisingly <laughs> enough, because they're, ca- they're called Tuca and Birdie, birds? so they're birds. birds. And yeah. you don't even watch the show when you knew I that. I know, but I know. I know, like I'm stupid is what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. So it's a toucan and it's a you bird. You don't even watch Which the is show. probably a, a swallow, potentially. And a, bird. and a birdie. Yeah, but I don't know what the birdie, like... Because I, I know Tuca I think is it's a toucan. A hum, what's that word where the word sounds like a... It sounds like birdie, mm-hmm. but it's spelled B-E-R-T-I-E. Mm-hmm. But it is just spelled B-I-R-D-I-E. Oh, for the never record. mind. Yeah. Never mind. So I think it's a swallow. It should have been even is, easier. Yeah, I know. It literally <laughs> was just like right in front of my face, and I said that they were fish. But they're not. And that show is interesting. It's uh, Bojack horseman like I said last time. I've watched like six more episodes just to like see what's up. And I think I'll keep watching it. It's funny. It is weird. Like, weird shit happens, and you just kind of are like, is this a joke, or are they going to, like, keep doing this? And they just, like, continue on with, like, something that doesn't make any logical sense at all. You'll have to watch it. It's also, like, I'm a curious. really good, like, like the two leads are both females, so it's, like, yeah. hella, like, female activism stuff. Like, here's an inconvenient situation where I had a plumber come over, and it makes me feel awkward, and mm-hmm. it really, like, highlights a lot of that stuff. So when you're a privileged bitch like us white <laughs> cis males, you uh, actually, you know, learn some stuff. So Woo. Woo. that's all I got. I've Boom. done nothing but watch Toucan Birdie. Are we allowed to talk about book, other books we're reading oh, yeah. in this that's section? Media. Yeah, absolutely. I thought so, but I don't remember if we I was going to that. for mine. Oh, I was going to mm. also. Mm. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um. I have been so last night I watched six episodes of ten episodes of um, the Netflix show called Dead to Me uh, with Christina Applegate and um, I didn't think I was going to like it that much but it's kind of dark and a little twisted and I like it Hmm. Um, and um, I'm reading a book by Donna Tartt called a Secret History? Thank you. That's the one you took from me. So it's Jamie's book. We creeped on your Goodreads today <laughs> on accident. We were at uh, I've been getting good reading Nomads. time. In, so yeah. that brings up two books. I'm reading A Secret History by Donna Tartt, and I'm also reading a book by Rebecca Traster called All the Single Ladies, which mm-hmm. is about um, like the rise of singledom in America and how um, I think the subtitle is The Rise of an Independent Nation. Um, <clears throat> and I am enjoying both a lot. Um I read The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, and I liked it. Um, the secret, a Secret History is a lot different, um, and it's super weird. Um, there's an orgy at the beginning, and that basically oh. is the whole, kind of, and it basically is, like, the foundation for the whole book. Something terrible happens, and uh, then, like, 500 pages later, they're still dealing with it. <clears throat> so I would recommend it. Hmm, nice. And it's nice. That's what I've been doing. Cool. Hell yeah. Uh, I'll hit a couple briefly here. I've been continuing Time Crisis. Uh, the interesting thing about Time Crisis now is that because it's like a, it's every two weeks, 
it's also like way back in history, like way back. It was 2016 right now, and they're in the midst of the election, and it's so interesting oh. to hear them all talk about it without yeah. knowing what happens. Oh, God. I'm just like, it's you sweet, sad. you sweet summer children. Oh, no. <laughs> sweet oh, no. baby angel children. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just other, you know, current events. Like the Olympics, for instance, over the summer, that was interesting to like revisit that in a different light and just hear all these points that at the time were like big news things that ended up not being consequential to anything. Right. You know what I mean? Because like people always want to find sensationalism in, in yeah. whatever's happening currently. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And the show's still good. Um, also, as far as books go, I started the George R. R. Martin um game of thrones series that's technically i guess a prequel but it's i have to pronounce this correctly because every time i do it too quickly it sounds like something else Dunkin but it's donuts. Dunkin donuts um it's tales of dunk and egg and i keep saying <laughs> i keep saying it fast i'm like tales of Dunkin' egg and i was like Dunkin' egg what? tales not, of dunkin donuts specifically he keeps just saying to me oh i was reading Dunkin' egg and i'm like what are you saying Dunkin' egg dude Wait, um, so are these a spin? What's the... So it's pretty interesting. It's 90 years about before the first book, and it's about Sir Duncan the Tall, who is a hedge knight, which means that at the beginning he's not pledged to any house. And, excuse me, the uh, egg of the story, so that's Dunk. It's Sir Duncan. And Egg is Aegon Targaryen. Oh. Uh, and he is in line for the throne, and so he is Sir Duncan's squire, and just kind of follows along. I've done one of the three. He's written three of these short stories. They were compiled into one unit in 2015, but the first one he wrote was back in the 90s, so okay. it's been along the way, and it's pretty interesting. It's like George R. R. Martin's writing, and it's really hmm. good. So, Is that um, what the... Like the rumored prequels are. Going I to hope be so. About? In all honesty, like because somehow? I've liked them so much, I hope that it is. Because some of the other ones that I heard is like the, the Adventures of Arya. Like I don't really want that. So uh, <laughs> um, screw Arya. So I would hope that like wow. Duncan Egg would be a cool. I one. love Arya. I love Arya too. I just wow. don't know that I want. He doesn't like Arya. I don't know that I want. Hates feminists. I don't want Arya just riding on a ship out to west of Westeros when Bran can just tell them by like <laughs> warging into some birds and being like, well, I'll tell you what I thought they were prequels though. Uh, well, I, I heard they, they just said spinoffs. Yeah, I, thought, oh, yeah. I thought they were going to be prequels. They were. I actually read a story that they were considering an Arya story, and they were like, "Well, yeah, we're not going to do that." So okay. anyway, and then the last one we watched the first episode of Chernobyl, which was crazy. But I, I won't get into that because I haven't seen it that much. I don't know that much about Chernobyl itself. Just that it was awful, and it was a it was something that had to do with it's a nuclear very bad. N- nuclear power plant. Twenty nineteen, it's real bad. Um, um, so anyway, th- those are mine. Just want to hit those real quick. Yeah, I also have seen the first episode of Chernobyl uh, because Brian and I are married. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Thanks for the hype, everybody. On occasion. Um. But let's see, other things in my life. So, uh, as as our loyal listeners know, I'm a high school English teacher. Um, and it is the end of the year. Uh, I'm still in school somehow, even though it's June, because <laughs> we had wild. we had 11 snow days this year. So, I'm still there, but I only have two days left. So, uh, as a... So, it might be a two-beer night, baby. <laughs> um, an update on teaching high schoolers uh they just read 
Othello. My sophomores read Othello, but because it was the end of the school year and we only had like two weeks, we read the translated version uh, in modern English, which was funny. <laughs> um, and then my juniors just read A Streetcar Named Desire, uh, which is one of my favorite plays. And my juniors this year enjoyed it a lot more than my juniors did last year. But then it got to the end and they were all mad at me. So I don't know. Um, but also related to that media that I've consumed very recently, it's the end of the year and my kids already took their finals because it's June. And so the last three days, I'm just showing movies because I'm that teacher right now. And that's fine. Everything, everybody's fine with it. Um, but a movie that I watched on Friday that I bought on Amazon specifically for classes on Friday, but I had not seen previously was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I see that getting... I want to see that it's so, so badly. Good. Is it really? I've seen it's on Reddit so, so many posts about it. Like, unbelievable. Is that, where there's lo- is that the one where there's lots of Spider-Men? Yeah, it's like animated. <laughs> there's, there's like eight <laughs> Spider-Men. Lots right. of Spider-Men. Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing at that. No one's used to Spider-Men. I know, it's there's true. It's true. There's lots of Spider-Men. Spider-Men. Would you say Spider-Mans? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I would say... I was expecting a resounding no. (laughs) I don't know, because it's like a proper... It's like a proper... considering it. I'm yelling. I'm screaming. Um, No, we want it. Clip, clip, clip. There's more than one Spider-Man. Um, but it's really good. Like I had heard it was really good. I'd read, I'd like heard reviews and seen things yeah, on Twitter, like and I was like, ah, oh, this. I'm sure this will be fine. I don't watch a lot of superhero movies, and I cried. What? I cried. <laughs> she she texted me. Is it a movie? She texted me during show? the day. It's a movie. Yeah. God, she texted me. She's like, it is so good. And she told it's me that wild. she cried and everything. And I was like, I was upset because I was like, I wanted to watch that together. It's, the it's best. fair enough. <laughs> the kids. <laughs> it's for the kids. Um, but it's I've the heard best Spider-Man movie I've ever from seen. A, from really? a lot of comic book crazy people, they've been like, this is the best Spider-Man movie. Like. All considered better than the Tobey Maguire ones. <laughs> Believe it's hard it or to not. believe. It's hard to believe, <laughs> but it is apparently. I, I want to yeah. see it. It's I coming to Netflix soon, or if not, already on. Yeah, it's I've been waiting good. to for that to watch yeah. it for it to come to like Netflix or Hulu or something. Yeah. So I also own it okay. on Amazon. If you want oh, to come over there. before it comes in the next yeah. three days or so, check it out. <laughs> um, it's great. Cool. Well, uh, that's a pretty good roundup. We've had a hearty <laughs> dose of both of those segments. That's true, man. But for today, uh, to get into the meat of the episode, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is the second half of our discussions on Bluebeard. And uh, it's pretty interesting revisiting this, considering what we talked about last week mm-hmm. as far as uh, how we thought the book was going to end and everything else and what was going to be in the potato yeah. barn. Like, like just seeing what the predictions were and what it actually ended up being uh, was pretty fascinating. But we will get to that in a little bit before we get too deep in discussions uh does any want anyone want to uh summarize a little bit about the back half mm, i'll give it a go okay you guys will help me yeah sure yeah. okay we all just looked at Andrew. <laughs> you? <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'll, I'll give my best shot. Uh, so, basically, so uh, Raybo is continuing his, his autobiography slash diary accidentally. Um, and the there's a, obviously it all, the, the separate stories all wrap up. 
and kind of just the Dan Gregory and Merrily bit just kind of turns into just Raybo kind of talking about Merrily because the two of them went to a place that Dan Gregory told them not to, being the natural, what is it? Museum, Museum of Modern, Modern Art. Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. Modern Art. And um, not the bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> and not the bedroom. Um, but then they <laughs> all... Uh, eventually. Eventually the bedroom. Okay, guys, I'm don't. telling okay, the story, <laughs> all right? They literally don't Fair go enough. to a bedroom. Fair yeah, enough. they don't. Yeah. But um, So that goes on. Um, they get caught doing that. Dan Gregory's not a fan. Um, then it kind of just talks about how the two of them... They get yeah, they get pretty excited with each other, and they <laughs> they do they do the the thing with each other, which is which has been talked about multiple times. Yeah, yeah. we saw it coming. We right. knew it was going um, But that happened not in a bed on a couch. Yeah, yeah, which is Danny. wild. Okay, crazy. <laughs> We're focusing so much on this bang. <laughs> uh, one bang on this <laughs> on this bang. Uh, no, it's it true. Is. It's, it's true. true. Yeah, one yeah. of the more literary, you know, important bangs in literary. <laughs> yeah, it's true. true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it couldn't have been said better. I don't think. Uh, so that goes on, and then he kind of continues to talk about Marley and him and their relationship, and how. Uh, eventually they get back together and Marilee is surprisingly different than I thought she was going to be in Italy. I yeah. thought she was going to be when nice he revisited to him, her. Yeah. But he, she kind of just raked him over the coals for, uh, not hitting her up afterwards after the bang. So, uh, but then swaps into like, let's be kind of friends, I guess. Um, so well, that kind of wraps. Also Marilee. I love Marilee's character mm-hmm. there at the end also. Cause she's like, so about women. Yeah. And queen I of her domain. It. Yeah. It's true. She, has rid her life of all men she has all the servants that work for her women who have been hurt by men she <laughs> just seems very bitter she and is I love it. stacking yeah. her life yeah, sure with I women i love that yeah so that is the kind of merrily that rainbow runs into a very confident very like screw you if you're involved in ruining my life any more than you already have by not ever hanging out with me but it gets rectified which it is nice that she yep. she makes him feel like she had always felt within like a small window yep. and then after that it's like okay now we can be equals let's talk mm-hmm. as friends which i thought was a cool mm-hmm. thing right i thought so too that was it was a very mature thing because she was like all right now that i've railed yeah, now you <laughs> we may be pals like you know let's be buds <laughs> yeah but then she's like stop mentioning sex yeah it's not on the table good because explicitly he or the couch said, or the couch <laughs> explicitly he said well merrily mentioned or that she's bed. not with anyone so we're probably gonna get some stuff I'm going Go I'm like the, the first sentence Marilee again. says is <laughs> like we're never. not having sex which I also appreciate Raybo including that in his own autobiography yeah, about his own him. foil of being like I thought we were going to then we weren't and I got destroyed <laughs> yep. it yep. was bad it was very different than he thought it was going to be um, so that's kind of the whole that's kind of how that storyline wraps up um, with him and um, Berman Cersei is that what we decided Cersei Berman Cersei is how the pronunciation that's how we're saying it yeah Cersei great um, so they kind of they eventually find out what's in the potato barn surprisingly enough yeah and uh, their conversations leading up to that are also really yeah. awesome too like yeah. his mm-hmm. conversation with both Merrily and Cersei are, are really deep mm-hmm. like they both get into like really deep parts of Raybo's psyche and, yeah, uh, and yeah yeah and the are we going to talk about the potato barn later yeah, or yeah that's I, fine now yeah we can just I mean we can just stem this right into yeah. just, uh but the potato barn ended up being um, eight canvases that used to have paintings of Raybo's that all the paint fell off and so we was that re- satin Duralux? Yeah, it was the Duralux or that likes yeah. to fall Duralux. off, yeah. even though, Duralux, you know, um, I, Some kind of blue number seven, <laughs> what oh. it was called, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. 
so that happens, and then they all the paint falls off, and then he makes the canvases hella white again. And I thought that's how it was going to end for a minute, and I was mm-hmm. not going to be stoked if he was <laughs> like, then I made all my old canvases white. But it is a really fun story about how he got the canvases back, how he made them look nice, and then how he eventually decided to because he locked up the barn at that point was Mm -hmm. like we're just done like i tried i failed i think that was like the title was very similar to that i tried i failed let's do it again or now it's your turn yeah yeah Yeah, and so instead he uh paints quite quite the scene um and cersei and and him get to kind of experience that together for the first time in a long time and i think even for like raybo i'm sure that's the first time he's really just like analyzed his own painting that much because he was kind of done with it yeah, yeah. And like can, he wanted it to be after he died. Right. Because he just didn't want to be around for anybody mm-hmm. to analyze what he had done. And I thought that the build up to that reveal, especially because he brought up, you know, it was a big point in the, the novel as well, but that he brings it back to the white canvases yeah. and that it, it started with that. It wasn't just from like point A to point B. It was like the build up to him eventually creating this mm-hmm. masterwork. Which is, it was, w- awesome. it was a, a perfectly done build up so to well that. Done. Yeah. And it was such a relief to like see that it was something as amazing as it was. Mm-hmm. And it totally like touched on all of like a lot of past things with Dan Gregory and how he had him paint a f- like photorealistic painting of the studio that he was in and how it got burnt. And it's just like, and how Dan Gregory is like, by the end of being underneath me, you'll know how everything works. You'll know the names of all the parts of everything that's mm-hmm. in your painting down to like the gun that's in the corner. Like you'll know everything. Mm-hmm. And then you could see Cersei asking him questions about each individual character in this painting that had, what was it, over a thousand yeah. people yeah. in mm-hmm. it painted? Yeah. So just to get to that really quickly, the painting is specifically oh, yeah, set. <laughs> it, it's in World War II. You know, right at the end of World War II. And right? it's something that Raybo had already talked about previously yeah. where he had been let go because he was a prisoner of war along with a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. And he basically used that as a foundation to then paint on top of. And it was people that were all there, but and then some. Because yeah. it started to touch, and like you said, with Dan Gregory yeah. and other people in his past. They all found their way into that mm-hmm. painting, which was really cool. Yeah, he painted himself in it because he was in that moment. But mm-hmm. he also painted in Pollock and, a, and Kit, yep. uh, Terry and, Kitchen. And Kitchens as well. Mm-hmm. Who... Surprisingly and like Charlie Chaplin not there. And yeah <laughs> so he got pretty excited about it yeah. but it was yeah yeah I felt, I felt satisfied for sure that's yeah. what I'll say about the potato barn I felt satisfied and especially with how they delivered it like you were saying Brian mm-hmm. it was just like a great like still intertwining like the novel of well it know. just kept it was a long period of the end of the novel yeah. where like it it didn't feel like it was just like uh the the curtain is pulled off because right. he started to hint throughout the back half of the novel because we really didn't get that much of a hint in the first half. Mm-hmm. I think but, we got nothing yeah, other he, than the size. Yeah, other yeah, than the, the size, size which could which have gone up to Jupiter. <laughs> uh, but but the fact that like it did then you know have these little crumbs that led up mm-hmm. to this thing and, and again it was such a significant piece of work uh, was just again really well done and uh, I, I think the the cool thing about it that you know it it kind of does explicitly talk about it but the thing that Raybo kept having such a problem with with his own work was off of essentially like verbal abuse from Dan Gregory saying you don't have any soul to your work because because you're doing it too much too realistic like you're not feeling what you're doing the fact that he was able to use his incredible talent of something that seemingly wouldn't have soul to then you know, have over a thousand souls. Like he had mm-hmm. knowledge of the backstories of every single yeah. person on this painting that like 
that his ability to then make something with that much soul was like yeah. it was amazing. It was I, very cool. So good. And then it does go on to talk about just like how his house become became a, an attraction for people to come look at the painting in the potato barn and all his other painting collections that he has in his house and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. forgot that it did even talk about post potato barn reveal. Yeah. Uh, and so for, for that, so now that we've gotten to the painting and kind of talked about it, there was one point that I thought that was kind of interesting uh, that we talked about last episode that played into two camps here is that uh, we were saying, you know, what's going to be in the potato barn and is it going to be a joke in mm-hmm. the end? Mm-hmm. And and to some degree, it, it sort of was by by way of its title. Uh, yeah. which so in some ways it wasn't because it was again like a very literal piece of art and it was something that was very heartwarming but also the title uh, played into something that did kind of lead up into like a serious joke I guess yeah um, so it kind of played into both so what, what were your guys thoughts when you uh, heard the title I can't remember exactly what it was I don't think I have it marked specifically but women it's your turn now or something like that um, yeah. I don't like think I have it marked right at the end isn't it no. no, he he, re- he, he reveals it a little bit uh, it's like at in the, the beginning. Last couple chapters. Hmm. Um, while you guys are looking for that, I had a moment that I wanted to talk about that backtracks a little bit. But you're talking about like the hints of what was in the potato barn, mm-hmm. and I took a picture of a quote that I really liked that was maybe like 90 pages before we learned what's in the potato barn. Um, and he's talking to Cersei, and he's like, do you want to know what's in there? And she's like, yes, oh, my God. Tell me. Oh, my God. And then he says... <laughs> Classic Cersei. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, uh, please. He yes. says, it's the emptiest and yet the fullest of all human messages. Hmm. And she responds with, which is? <laughs> and then, and then he just, the sass. And then Ravo says, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of beautiful, but also with the painting, I think it fits really well. So mm-hmm. I liked that hint. I was like, yeah. ooh. Mm-hmm. And we did just get uh, the the title of the painting. Uh, Danny, you found it. Oh, yeah. it's Now it's the women's turn. Mm-hmm. So, like, to some degree it was a joke in that, like, he's just playing on a lot of the horrific things that had caused a lot of grief for previous uh, mentions of characters, um, primarily war, yeah. uh, was a lot of leaders that were primarily men and you know that gets talked about of like uh in the past a lot of aggression has happened from like male leaders being aggressive Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just like what you see from dan gregory right you know everybody and and so you know having it be that and and you know that's what it's kind of signifying and and him having these revelations with these two main female characters uh, that led him to be comfortable enough to even show that painting off in the first place. Yeah. Uh, like it was kind of a funny thing in, in, in a book where I didn't find there were a lot of overt jokes to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I found that to be kind of a humorous thing, but also like a really powerful thing as well. Yeah. Mm. I also just like, I took a lot of pictures of Marilee specifically talking about women because like I said, I loved her and I thought she was really like dry and funny in how she talked about it. Um, and I think that he like he puts that part about Marilee right before the the moment where we learn what's in the potato barn with Cersei in like present day for a purpose because I think he was inspired by Marilee in a yeah. lot of ways. But there's a quote where she said, um, 
Women are so useless and unimaginative, aren't they? All they ever think of planting in the dirt is the seed of something beautiful or edible. The only missile they can ever think of throwing at anybody is a ball or a bridal bouquet. (laughs) (laughs) So boring. So boring. Because she's talking about how, like, this one servant's, like, leg was blown off because a man left a grenade on the ground or something. And Mm -hmm. just women, women are so boring and unimaginative. We just want things to be beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) How dare we? Uh. Good old Merrily. I did like her a lot. And I also liked how Rabo responded to it all. Because obviously it, it, I mean, it took time, but it made him a significantly better person who seemingly is much more in tune with his own emotions, but also is in tune with the fact that he is like confident in his ability to show Cersei the painting. And so that's what he dang did. But I and think it was definitely part of... confident in yeah. his role as a useless white uh, cis male. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of them were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the rest of them. Um, yeah, I think that uh, like it was surprising to see the turn of the back half of the novel be so female-centric. Because I don't think that it really seemed to play into that at the in the first half like a lot of those uh, themes seem to present themselves a lot more um just a lot later and it's so interesting to have something that did end up being like almost a central theme uh of you know the male versus female uh archetypes and and how females uh helped bring enlightenment to our Mm -hmm. main character that it really wasn't talked about that much at the beginning unless you guys can think of other hints. But, like, I thought that it was so interesting that that was so leaned into uh, so much more heavily in the back half. Yeah, it was almost, like, split. I mean, it was almost, like, split right in half. Mm -hmm. Like, the back half was very, like, merrily and Cersei-heavy. Like, and I also feel like I like the way that he talks about Cersei, like, coming in and kind of um, just taking over. Like, but he doesn't do it in a negative way way like Mm -hmm. she taught he talks about her being um like just i don't know controlling but like not in a negative way i feel like it's the way that some like women are described as like just being super controlling and like type a Mm -hmm. and he like it's all he almost like reveres that in her Mm -hmm. i feel like Mm -hmm. and but also like in the first half it he didn't because he was annoyed yeah in the second half i feel like he is almost like he's more appreciative or something yeah because she like there are moments that are really subtle but like he's like oh yeah she like moved some paintings out of the basin and put a pool table down there um and she just does that now and mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's cool for yeah. her uh, yeah. like it he doesn't it get mad about very it matter of factly just like she did this thing i'm probably not crazy about it but hey Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. She likes to dance a lot. I don't yeah. really want to go dancing. <laughs> and I feel like especially after like the repainting his entire home and moving around all that shit that like lost that made him lose his mind the first time. Now he's like, oh, she just put in a pool table. We're good. You know. <laughs> That's fine. She's That's really fine. good at pool. Yeah. <laughs> She's <laughs> great at pool. <laughs> but we did find out. I forgot about the whole uh, the whole drug thing with Cersei, where we found out that she just had like a medicine cabinet of full pills. of pills yeah. from her her past. Was it? relationships people were pharmaceutical it was reps like her or something her husband was her, her husband yeah. her hate. late husband was a yeah, pharmaceutical had a bunch of drugs. rep mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. had a bunch of drugs well that was the other Which focus that isn't addressed later i know well, yeah it always kind of it left me wondering like 
Was that supposed to make me think that she was on drugs this, or just like was a drug was addict this whole time? Well, That's kind of right. what I took it as. Me too, because it, I don't know. I would say the thing that I think it did semi get addressed in a couple of ways in the fact that Raybo later on really highlights the fact of his realization that she is going through grief. Yeah. Because it wasn't that That's focused on at the beginning, that. and it was kind of like a, like he knew it all along, but there was mm-hmm. something going on with, uh, I can't remember the exact context, but he he kind of was like, oh yeah, like yeah, she is going through significant mm-hmm. grief, and like all of her actions can kind of play yeah. into the fact that you know she is handling this. Uh, in ways that people would need to, yeah. which may be by coping with drugs or whatever else. And then the other part of it that may be like an unspoken remedy to it is that Cersei got what she was looking for, I yeah. suppose, with her relationship to Raybo because she the, – the one powerful thing in it brought it back to my mind from your quote about it when he's talking about Cersei dancing and, you know, he never does that, but – when he talks about that to her after they look at Raybo's painting in the potato barn, mm-hmm. uh, it gets brought up and she's like, we are dancing, even though they're just holding hands and they're just kind of like yeah. sharing this moment of, oh. of this humanity that, you know, this is Raybo's, uh, you know, coping with grief was this painting because that was a right. significant part of his past. You know, it was the same thing. He called it post-coital. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it was like such, you know, a resolution to that relationship. Like a euphoria. Yeah, yeah and, was, and yeah. so it kind of seems like that may help her in her ability to cope with significant parts of grief because the relationship starts with her like poking at Raybo's past grief. She doesn't know exactly what it was, but right. she does start out with like how did your parents die? Mm-hmm. But like that explains so much more to her and like she saw him being able to go through it in that way. So I think that that kind of, to me explained, uh, you know, it, it brought some resolution to, um, that part of the story because it did come yeah. out really randomly and later, but I think that that kind of, in my mind made it make sense. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And the, the two of them, how they end up and how they resolve is almost like, it makes you be like, Oh, I want that relationship in my life. Like (laughs) I can imagine doing that and just like really having like a spiritual moment where I really show someone something so close to my heart as that was for Raybo. And then to like be well received, but also just to be reminded, like, you know, we're both going through stuff. We're both going through grief. We handle it in similar ways. Like you said, Mm -hmm. I thought that was really like, that was pretty dang fun. It was a nice moment. Yeah, Yeah. it was. He says before that, that like, they weren't really friends like as she was about to leave he felt like kind of sad about it but not really because he was like i'm glad to have my house back but then he was like but i think we were friends at the end after i showed her the Mm -hmm. potato barn um because they had that moment together yeah Yeah. so so i do want to revisit um one of these first points that i'm going to bring up as far as um the tone feeling different in this novel in comparison to other Kurt Vonnegut novels. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one of the things that I want to talk about uh, a little bit that kind of came up for me is like when I was reading this, we kind of brought it up last time. I think the word that I had said was this novel's a bit more sober. Uh, I think in getting to the end, I would want to re 
route that into sincere. Like this novel is very sincere. And I think that there's something really interesting upon uh, reaching a really random page. Uh, and I wish I could say what it was. I'm reading on a Kindle and I have a picture of like a percentage of something or other. But, <laughs> but, but the reason that the sincerity is there is he brings up, uh, Raybo does, but also, you know, you take into account Kurt Vonnegut as an author and, and themes that he visits in a lot of his novels. He brought up Dresden again specifically in this. And I think Raybo had a brief interaction with Dresden and obviously uh, in thinking He says of, he was a prisoner of war like just south of Dresden mm-hmm. or something like that. And, and the backstory on Vonnegut is... he most, was Vonnegut was also a prisoner of war. Uh, you read about that in Slaughterhouse-Five because Slaughterhouse-Five is like partially autobiographical. Um, but he was a young soldier that was in Dresden when it was bombed. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so a lot of what he writes about then, you know, a a consistent theme of Kurt Vonnegut's novels is talking about World War II. And it's really interesting in this novel to talk about its sincerity and also Raybo's experiences and his ability to cope with it. And especially in looking at the fact that the subject matter of this book is art in particular, I think what kind of struck me and and we'll talk about, you know, our thoughts on the book overall, but like this was to me in a league of, of its own in, in Kurt Vonnegut's body of work. And, and part of it is that sincerity because it seems like he's so much more into this novel because he's talking about like the importance of art how it helps you cope with horrific things in life, specifically World War II. And a lot of it comes into this really cathartic moment at the end that you don't really get in other Kurt Vonnegut mm-hmm. novels. Yeah. And in that the art itself was the cathartic thing. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, he just continues to mention Dresden, even if it's not the main focus of the novel, it was obviously a huge thing for him because it was a horrific moment in his life, but he's able to use his novels to like make some sense of it even if it's like in some other novels like the world is shit yeah. uh and finding humor in it along the way you know this one just felt very different in that you know the art was the thing that helped make things okay in, in the way right. that it could and so i don't i just was curious on your thoughts on like if you found the sincerity of this or like what you thought about the tone of it itself because that's just kind of my takeaway but mm-hmm. like how do you think of it in comparison to like other kurt vonnegut novels since we've all read multiple i yeah. kept thinking about as i was like in the last 30 pages or so how we kept in the last episode people were worried people <laughs> The four of us (laughs) were worried that it was going to end with, like, a punchline. Like, you're going to open the potato barn and it's going to be some, like, goofy thing. Like, one potato? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was fully expecting that still. One potato. Honestly, like, a blank canvas sounded right to me. Yeah. And when they started mentioning that, I was like, it's going to be, like, a stupid blank canvas. It's going to be a metaphor. And whatever. Um, Because, like... Vonnegut does that a lot. He does end with a punchline a lot. And I love those books. And I love his style. But there is something, like, really special about how 
we expected that and yeah. didn't get it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because like every other Vonnegut book, I feel like on purpose leaves you wanting so that you think about it and you think about the themes more and you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, so much more to be gleaned, you know, which is fine. But it was crazy. <laughs> it's fine. This was straight up just like the most bow ending I've ever heard. Like, oh, yeah. Like every story came to a close. Everything got figured out. And the last words were like just Cersei being like, Hey Raybo, like pay attention to the fact that you just made something badass. Like give yourself some credit. And he's yeah. like, and the last sentence is him. He's t- when he says meat, he's it. talking about like the it. hands oh, yeah. that he's looking at, like I his body it. creating something. But the last sentence, which is <laughs> unbelievably bow ended is, Oh, happy meat. Oh, happy soul. Oh, happy Raybo Karabikian. And it's like, Oh my oh, God. So like that is the ending that you always kind of, Wanted elsewhere, but he really just like I gives love you. It. I like, love everybody's it. Everybody's good. The like a, like a Vonnegut happy ending. Yeah, yeah, it is wild, and especially since you're so used to not that. Yeah. It. I think it's, this yeah. would be a weird first Vonnegut. I do too. Yeah. You'd, oh, you'd yeah. get way more optimistic. Oh, yeah. well, and also, like this you know. one felt much less jaded and cynical and like biting like there were some parts still from other people though it seemed like it seemed that it was talking about that in context of other characters yeah Raybo I feel like was pretty earnest and like yeah I don't know it it felt he was a little cynical like yeah I think think at the end he changes a lot because I'm remembering I think second half yeah Yeah. right 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 because like first half Raybo is like I didn't never do shit as an artist I'm a terrible husband and father I'm a terrible person he still thinks a lot of those things yeah I think that Cersei's reaction to his painting and then other people's reactions after that he's like oh okay Mm -hmm. I did something Mm -hmm. like yeah it feels for lack of a better descriptor like it feels like a happy ending in Vonnegut terms and it also feels yeah I don't know I I felt like it was a little less um just like jaded and angry Mm -hmm. but that's also like probably my I don't know my like feelings about Vonnegut coming out what's crazy though is too that like yeah there was a whole novel or like a whole story with Dan Gregory and Karabikian and how like there's this long tale about him and all this other stuff but really even like if you're talking about just the one plot line where it's Raybo writing his autobiography, that only took four months. Mm-hmm. That's what he said at the end mm-hmm. of the book was that Cersei showed up and then she's leaving four months later, whatever. And so it's way more drastic when you think about like the current Raybo. Yeah. Like even at the beginning of the book, he had to get convinced to write his own autobiography of which he started just being like, I'm a no good painter, but this lady told me to write this. So mm-hmm. I suppose lady I will. My <laughs> yeah. House. And then at the end of the book, he's like, damn, Happy meat. Yeah. Happy hand. You know, like whatever, which is Happy just hilarious. Meat. Happy rainbow. Like, it's so different. And that's four months. And like, it's crazy how much Cersei did do to him. Happy and how meat. like introspective. Yeah, right? It's just like the, him writing this book like forced him to be. Happy <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, also, it's funny just as a side thing in you talking about like his progression in him writing the book he uh, he also seemed to become a better writer yeah uh, i think which is kind of interesting yeah, like in the, the back half you mentioned how he like because he talks about the whole potato barn thing so well yeah mm-hmm. well even That's before awesome. when he's talking about like the interjections of cersei where it's like she's over my shoulder mm-hmm. side note this like side note that back to the present about like toward the end there was less of that and it seemed yeah. to be really focused in so that's interesting to see like Raybo's not yeah. only like mature or maturation as a person but yeah. also like his ability to become a better writer which is kind of yeah. cool too and you could just see that by looking at a page like early in the bluebeard there'd be like because this whole book is riddled with little like ellipses 
bits in between mm-hmm. paragraphs like classic Vonnegut. Yeah, classic Vonnegut. But those get less and less, and especially in the last like thirty pages, you turn a page and it's just walls of text mm-hmm. instead, and that's very abnormal. And so it does kind of like make a point because I remember about like page two seventy, and there's like three hundred pages. They kind of started talking about the potato barn, and I was like. I bet the next 30 pages are just like kind of how that gets revealed and all that stuff. And it was kind of just like, you know, just telling the story. Yeah. I have a a quandary. A quandary? A quandary. quandary. Um, Because there was one moment. Not a question. Literally one sentence in this last, like the last 10, 15 pages or whatever that made me question some of the sincerity I don't know. I want to know what everybody else thought of this. What sentence? I'm now it's so interested. I know. So Tell like, us. he's describing because <laughs> we talked about how like in the painting in the potato barn, he has a story for every single person that's there, and it's all very sincere and lovely and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And there's one moment where he's talking to Cersei. She she's asking about like specific people, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that lady is a gypsy. Mm-hmm. She was like the queen of the gypsies." Mm-hmm. And he goes on this long story. And then after finishing up that whole story, he says, such was the story I made up for Cersei Berman. And the Mm. word made up there, and then he just moves on from that. I'm like, is it not real? Like, I don't... I just think it's like, here's my thought. Because I I remember that, and I took it a different way in the sense of like, like, I think he, like some of the people, I think he just made up stories for. Because I don't think he knew every, every thousand person story, but I think in the same way that Dan Gregory was like, you need to know the everything for everything in your paintings. I think in like a non-sincere way, he was just choosing to be like, cool, I'm actively thinking about like how this person's face would look because their background is like, you know, this made up thing that they did in their childhood or whatever. That's kind of what I took it as. I get what you're saying though. Because he'd have to make up stories for every single person anyway. But I think that part of it is like, it's alluded to that he has the ability to do that for every single person mm-hmm. on there. Like not right. something that is really baseline. Like, you know, he gets deep into a backstory of, mm-hmm. of a random oh, he, person. He did. Yeah. For multiple of them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and then it goes into that in like little bite sized pieces of other people when he's talking about how he describes it for Cersei, for anybody else that she points out. So I, I kind of agree with that and I can see how it can be taken yeah. uh, either way, I suppose. But I, I, I've more ascribed to that, I think. Yeah. I just think that when I read it, I got really confused, yeah, I and I was that. like, "That seems weirdly cynical." <laughs> yeah, I read, like, like I feel like I read all of the descriptions, and then he said, "Such was the story I made up for Cersei Roman," and I was like, "Did he just make all this shit up? <laughs> like, yeah, like, was, this was he just like fucking around? Yeah, like, yeah. like this whole time and like got, like taking her for a ride, kind of." Well, to be fair on the sincerity, I'm not saying it in the sense that like Raybo is like a completely pure and changed man. It's just yeah. like the sincerity of the story is just like. Like, he's still a flawed person, but, like, sincere in his, like, wanting to be better and, like, the progression of a lot of other characters. I think that it doesn't mean that everything, like, even though it felt like a bow ending, it didn't mean that, like, Raybo necessarily is the best person yeah. on Earth. But yeah. I think that there was... Yeah, no. Because yeah. I still think because that, he's like, not. I didn't think that. <laughs> I still thought that Raybo, at worst, was a realist. And that's probably because yeah. I'm a cynic, but <laughs> I do think so, so that, any, at worst, anything. Raybo was do a... a deep like, at the there, beginning, Andrew. it seemed like he was, like... This woman asked me to write a book about myself, and really, there's nothing to be said, but I'll say it. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's kind of what it seemed like. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll and do so, it. I don't think. Yeah, I think you're, I think I'm with you. Like, I don't yeah. think Vonnegut was trying to be like, and then he became the best the Jesus Christ. Human. But yeah. I do think it was more just like he was <laughs> the best Jesus, the best Jesus, not just Jesus, the best <laughs> Jesus. But I do think that like 
if you take that realism that he had and just take it into the second half, it's kind of like he was a realist throughout, in my opinion, because he was being told, like, you're shit. I burnt your painting because it was trash. You know, like, all this stuff. Like, I don't want to be with you because you're terrible and I'm going to divorce you and leave you and, like, all this stuff. And then in the later half, he got some bit of encouragement from someone who actually he felt like knew him knew him and he was like okay yeah cool he bought uh, i can do that yeah, yeah he bought it yeah uh, a pessimist realist to an optimist yeah, realist exactly. or something and then a drug addict was like yo nice painting and he's like all right yeah. <laughs> i'm good nice but no i i don't i yeah. don't mean to discount her but yeah. you know um, i just did <laughs> No, this is a feminist book, Andrew. Excuse <laughs> Sick, me. Dude. <laughs> um, well, one thing I want to touch on also is uh, we talked about the title of the book itself, Bluebeard. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that plays into it now that we know what's in the secret yeah. room? I mean, there are dead people in the room. I guess that's true. Okay, yeah, there are dead yeah. people in the room. Okay. Does he have to kill anyone else? He has to kill his pessimist past, maybe. There's definitely... Oh, the metaphors are flowing. <laughs> know, there's a lot of metaphors. There are hella metaphorical people that are dead, but also, yeah, they're painted dead people. Yeah. The gypsy's dead. Mm-hmm. Gypsy's dead. There's not a single potato he painted, in that story. He painted pictures of his dead friends, like Kitchen and... Uh, yeah. Pollock, mm-hmm. and so like there's yeah. dead yeah. people. I'm just curious on like just how it changed it because like that you know obviously it was a heavy-handed thing of Vonnegut to like mention this yeah. folktale within and be like it was a mass murder like was, cycle. I guess I'm more uh, trying to decide if it was a purposeful red herring or not, or if we just read into it a little too hard. Because I, I did personally, I will say that I did read yeah. into it too hard. Like the specific blue beard that he chose that story and how mm-hmm. blue beard was a negative. I mean, I you think know. that it. I I feel like it has to be purposeful because it's the title. Right, of the book. it's the title. Yeah, like, yeah. right. I'm just meaning like. I'm just meaning like. It's the title. I mean, like not because you could say that it's the title because of the dead people that are in the painting. Haha, ha, look at that. But I think like the fact that it was like a negative story like Bluebeard's yeah. a bad person yeah because obviously you could just take it as you know Bluebeard dead people and then you're like oh okay there were dead people in there because in the painting but <laughs> I think it was kind of on purpose to make you <laughs> I don't know just like question him potentially yeah I mean I think that also like the first half of the book like we talked about Raybo like he's not the worst person yeah. but I definitely didn't think he was a good person no. I still don't know that I think he's a good person like um, and so I, th- but I definitely think the first half of the novel with him talking about Bluebeard, it did seem a lot more like sinister. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, kind of did. This kinda guy, did. Like, well, it made me like literally take it a little <laughs> literally and like question it. Like mm-hmm. he's, he keeps talking about his two ex wives. Like, are they yeah. in the potato bar? But he did promise us at the beginning that there were no dead well, people. In right. There. Yeah. But I also, or no bodies. Yeah. Something about Maybe. bodies. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Because I, again, there are dead people. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just think... I uh, to trust him. Yeah. I'm curious. Uh, like, that all makes sense on, on the readings into it. I, I did like it as far as the title and, and the explanation into it that it did create uh, an extra heightened sense of anticipation for what was going to be in there because of how much of a catharsis it was to get to that point. Because yeah. uh, I think that that wouldn't have been as big of a reveal had we not had that baseline to start that narrative arc of, yeah. of him being like 
talking about what's locked in this barn, him mm-hmm. saying like the basis in this Bluebeard folktale, yeah. and then it like builds to that release because otherwise it's just like it's a guy that's a little shy. Yeah. But then otherwise we're like heightening this sense mm-hmm. of anticipation of like is somebody dead? Yeah. And I think it's like what did you do? I think that's partially in, like I not partially. I just think that is intentional in the sense of just like trying to convey the emotional sincerity of why he like locked it up and never never opened it again because it's one thing if he was talking about like i have this one room i don't let anyone go into and like i don't really talk about it or whatever but it's completely different to be like i have a potato barn that's separate that i've locked up and nobody's ever going in there and Mm -hmm. i think it was just definitely to show like how much he because of his past and because of all these things you can see how much he was so scared to just like really show people his one last shot at like mm-hmm. can i have soul can i have it's really like, vulnerable yeah it yeah. Is, yeah and so i think yeah maybe that's why the blue beardian analogy was made yeah Bluebeardian. <laughs> but uh, yeah i don't know yeah uh and so with that then um i think we can kind of get into final thoughts here um one thing that i want to touch on for everybody is how this uh, first of all, as we've done in previous um, episodes of the second half of books on how you thought the second half compared to the first half, uh, also in this case because we have the context, um, how do you feel that this ranks amongst your Vonnegut readings, You know, just kind of comparing it to what you've read and, and how that kind of uh, changes your perception on his body of work overall, and then just any other final thoughts you may have. Uh, I'll start. Uh, I think, I think my second favorite, or actually, I think my favorite Vonnegut going into this was Cat's Cradle because of its themes. Like I love classic. Yeah, it is. It's so good, no doubt. And the themes there were just really (laughs) nice for me. I liked them a whole lot because of its cynicism (laughs) and because of its like nihilistic kind of views. And I hella needed that when I was reading that book. So it felt really good. And I was like, yeah, give me it. I I want the nihilism, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And that. I thought that the that the tone there was also like it was someone who was obviously very thoughtful as as compared to someone who's like a slapstick narrator, a jailbird narrator that's a little bit just they don't talk about how they're like the most thoughtful person or it doesn't seem like they're really, you know, looking into a lot of stuff whereas, you know, the Cat's Cradle narrator certainly was and in this one I saw the same thing but in obviously the opposite way like I didn't feel like it was nihilism, I felt like it was like find your way to cope, find your way to heal. Um, all that kind of stuff. So I thought, I think this might, I'd have to think about it. I don't know if I like it as much as Cat's Cradle because I really still like that one, but it's got to be like second or third. Like even in terms of like the last 40 pages and how he delivers that, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And how it all just comes to a head. And even like his concession as a narrator is rare. I feel like in other books, like if a narrator ever gets like put in the corner, he kind of has like a witty way to be like, well, screw you. Like, this cynical like witticism that makes you look dumb or whatever Mm -hmm. but in this one Cersei or not Cersei Merrily was like here's all these terrible things and it kind of seemed like to an extent he was like man you're right and just like in his like in the rest of the novel it seemed like he took it to heart too because now he painted you know this final painting so I liked it a lot I liked it a lot I would say probably probably second or third favorite cool um I think I told Jamie and Brian this earlier. I think this is my favorite Vonnegut book that I've read. I've, mm-hmm. This is my fourth. Um, and I think it's my favorite one. Um, and back I don't, to the backstories, you don't always like Vonnegut stuff. Yeah, I don't know. That's I was going to say. I don't know what that says about like my taste and Vonnegut because we all just spent thirty minutes talking about how this is like a little out of 
style for him mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I feel like uh, I appreciated the sincerity um, and like maybe, I don't know, the the lack of so much cynicism that I feel like other books of his that I've read have. Um, and I definitely, I mean, I don't know if we're comparing first and second half, like in terms of how oh. much we like them, but I, I really liked the second half. I feel like I was much more engaged um, and I like the way that he... I was like satisfied with the way that he wrapped everything up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. As far as the first and second half, as we kind of touched on earlier, I thought that again, it was, it was so cool to see him build up to such a peak for a theme that didn't seem as present in the first half uh, mm-hmm. that he was able to do that in the back half. And that's why I like doing these podcasts in two parts because we've had that with other books that we've done. I think we mentioned it during our episodes with a hundred years of solitude where it really felt like the book was meant to be read in two parts like that, even though it wasn't split like that. Um, And not every book is like that, but obviously a halfway point is going to bring some point where it has to wrap back up. But I thought that it really did feel like the back half had some other themes to explore. And and those themes were really rich and deep that uh, it was worth, um, you know, diving into and, and analyzing a bit more. And as far as the book itself, um, this is a something that I've talked about with Jamie because there's not a ton of authors that I've read like multiple uh, books of theirs, but you know there are certain instances now where I'm starting to analyze like Kurt Vonnegut's works with how much I like certain characters uh, separated from certain stories and different instances like I really liked Mr. Rosewater and God bless you Mr. Rosewater as a character. Uh, but that book might not be my favorite right. of all of his work. Um, but it, it was so interesting in that case that Mr. Rosewater was kind of a caricature of a character because uh, he was kind of out there even in his um, pure sincerity for trying to help people, even as absurd as it was that it wasn't necessarily helping himself. Uh, but in this case, I I really liked Rabo as a character because he didn't feel as absurd as some of the other characters in Vonnegut's novels uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, you get into Slaughterhouse-Five, you have Billy Pilgrim, yeah. and, you know, he's <laughs> he's just kind of an absurd caricature, yeah. but it works in that uh, in that story, and the story's still amazing. And, again, it's kind of a flip-flop where the story's amazing, but maybe Billy Pilgrim isn't my favorite character of all time within mm-hmm. uh, Kurt Vonnegut's stuff. But but Raybo was so three-dimensional, and yeah. and really his is. ability to to concede his faults, even at the expense of making himself look bad because that's the thing is like when we're talking about all these things that you know we're saying Rabo may not be a perfect character this is all from his point of view anyway so all of that is his own doing and he's not uh doing it where he's you know there's other stories where characters happen to let out the terrible things that they've done seemingly by accident Mm -hmm. and they don't realize how terrible it is like in his case he just was very upfront with it and was like these things suck like i suck sometimes but like here's also my story and here's how it concludes Mm -hmm. uh and it's very satisfying and i i really 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 liked bluebeard a lot and i thought that uh it's i wish more people would read it because it's surprising to see like on goodreads it's one of the less popular as far as number of ratings uh it's one of the less popular vonnegut books but uh, like you said, Andrew, I, I don't think it should be a, a first book of anybody. Yeah. But I would say if you like Kurt Vonnegut's stuff, it's definitely worth good. visiting. So, 
feel like Raybo is one of the most dynamic or more dynamic characters that mm-hmm. I've ever read mm-hmm. from Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have similar feelings. I think uh, first half versus second half. I definitely enjoyed the second half a lot. Like, I loved the first half. Also, I loved Vonnegut. I there was never a moment where I was like, oh, I have to read this. Um, <laughs> but the second half, I was like very immersed in Marilee's story in particular. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think she's great. Um, and I do, I love the sincerity of Rainbow in the second half. And I wonder, we didn't really talk about this, but I, I have a feeling that because this is like a later book in Vonnegut's, uh, career, it probably had something to do with him being like an older man and mm-hmm. being maybe less cynical about the world mm-hmm. and maybe more like, okay, like I did good things, maybe. Like and kind you know, of matter of fact about the bad things. Yeah. And, like that it mm-hmm. wasn't like, you know, you know. Um, which I think yeah. is nice. Um, as far as it compares to other Vonnegut's, uh, prior to reading this, I think my top three Vonnegut books would have been uh cat's cradle slaughterhouse five and mother night um let me say those again cat's cradle slaughterhouse five mm-hmm. mother night okay those are all the ones i've read oh nice <laughs> there we go I wonder think, why i think those would be my top three we figured and it out i it hasn't been long enough for me to like officially place this anywhere yeah but I think it's in there Update somewhere. Update us on the rankings, Ooh. please. Um, live, someday. live. I feel like Mother Night might get pushed out a little bit. It's, but that's the thing. I love Mother Night. Mm-hmm. And Mother I, Night's great. Uh, Cat's Cradle, like for sure, Cat's Cradle will always be my favorite. I don't think that anything's yeah. going to surpass yeah, that Cat's for me. Cat's Cradle. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. Cat's Cradle is incredible. It's so good. But And like Slaughterhouse-Five is important in so many ways. And so part of me right. like... I feel like I would be betraying part of who I am by saying that I liked this better than Slaughterhouse Five. Right, because that's the one that's like all encompassing. <laughs> Jamie's experiencing a crisis. I know. Yeah, she's <laughs> really conflicted here. Faces, but maybe Show us your potato bun. <laughs> oh baby, <laughs> show me your potato bun. Wow. Uh, so it's in there. Wow. It's in the mix. I'll just start talking about my top four Vonnegut. Books yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> just expand the list. It's a than little weirder, but yeah. uh, you know. Uh, those are my thoughts. Cool. Well, uh, that was uh, <laughs> strange. No, <laughs> uh, that that was a a really good couple of episodes. I. I I enjoyed talking about Bluebeard quite a bit. Yeah, Thank you, too. Andrew, for, yeah. for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This yeah. was a real treat. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I, read, I read books. And so talking about coming back oh, and yeah. the continuation of the podcast, uh, we brought this up at the end of last week. I think it's just good uh, house cleaning to make sure that we bring it up again for any loyal listeners uh, of – of what we're going to be hanging on our every word. <laughs> right. Uh, of what we're going to be reading next, and also we do have a special announcement for Jamie's. Uh, so that's kind of fun. But uh, as far hopefully as hopefully it stays true, yeah, it stays true. It's going to be on the pod, so we'll see. Um, so as far as the ordering of the books going forward, we're going to go back to uh, the three of the OG hosts are going to each have a book and it's going to be in the same order. Thanks. Andrew's getting the middle finger all around the table. <laughs> a lot of flip-offs. Um, so as we did previously, it's going to be me and then Jamie and then Danny. And so for my book, we're doing Vineland by Thomas Pinchon. Uh, my book is 
Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. And um, hopefully we've gotten some confirmation from a new special guest. We won't say the name just in case. Who would like to join us for Underground Railroad. Um, I won't say her name, but she's a co-worker of mine. Yeah. So that'll be another English teacher on the pod. Yeah. English teachers on the pod. English <laughs> teachers on the pod. <laughs> uh, my choice uh, for this round is Northwest by Zadie Smith. Cool. So that that will be uh, the order of what we're going to be doing going forward. There was talks about what we're going to do. Since we've kind of talked about this in seven episodes, Danny, we're kind of throwing this at you live. Um, <laughs> live on the pod. So, so you had said uh, that you would want to continue on after the seven that we had originally talked about. So say we do this in seasons and this is the first season after seven so we have a wrap-up episode after the last book talk about favorite drinks which would be interesting oh. uh, i'll bring the list i'll you i'll give you a list you. wine and lacroix <laughs> and, and then what would you like most and then a ranking of the books would be interesting as well and then just kind of shoot the shit that sounds super fun. I would love to do that. Cool. When you guys pitched this idea to me, I was planning on doing this for the rest of my life. That's my life. <laughs> so yeah, we'll just do it in season. So we'll I wasn't expecting to stop this ever. We need to have like, a hiatus moment where it's like, okay, end of season one. Yeah. We could take a little I think that'll break. help it too. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I suppose. So, so this is the mid-season finale. So Andrew, you oh. were... You there were the go. the special guest that Hell brought in the yeah. heat halfway, and then we'll be You're our first special guest. That's true. That's You're true. Uh, Thank you for guesting. Me. And, and so, <laughs> such a guest. And so we'll be uh, wrapping up the back half of season one, and then have a wrap up episode as well. Maybe a call in. <laughs> <laughs> Give me on speakerphone. <laughs> what was your favorite? Oh, the weed beer, bro. <laughs> Hell yeah. What was your favorite weed beer? Those two weird beers I drank. <laughs> so good. So high. Um, so high, bro. So, so I think that'll be it for our discussion on Bluebeard. And uh, we're going to need, because we don't know the next time we'll see oh you, we're going to need another uh, scat outro from yeah. uh, from our guest, Andrew. Uh, Scoop it a Simple. Simple. We'll rate that on the wrap up episode. <laughs> Best scat. <laughs> we will catch you next time.